Well, welcome to the Wednesday edition of the Bottom Line Show. It is the first Wednesday of the month of August. And you know what that means? Every Wednesday on the Bottom Line Show is Everyone Wins Day. So anytime we give away something, like Mike Novotny is going to join me here in a couple of minutes to talk about his brand new book on the parable of the sower. That's a really helpful uh, six ways to strengthen your faith. Uh, we've got one copy of that book to give away, but everybody who calls in for it, because we always get a lot of calls, is going to win something. So 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Also, when John Strage, formerly of the Orange County Register, the Los Angeles Times, and Golf Digest joins me in the second hour of the program to talk about Vin Scully. Oh, my goodness. Dodger legendary announcer. Uh, the tributes are coming in for this great man of faith. Passed away last night at 94 years of age. Was the Dodger broadcaster for 67 years. Right out of Fordham University. How's that for a career tra trajectory? Uh, is doing play-by-play -play at Fordham U. Starts sending tapes of what he did to Red Barber, and this is the who's the Dodger uh, broadcaster, winds up getting hired on to do one inning per game right out of Fordham. After three years, Red Barber retires, and Vince Gully becomes the principal voice for the Dodgers, moves with them to L.A., transistor radio. We, we'll, we'll go on to all of that. Um, John Strege is the author of a book called uh, Snowflake Called Hannah about his family's adoption story. And when John's on, we'll give that away, and everybody who calls in is going to win something. So 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through. And thirdly, and not the least bit important, but probably most important for me personally, today is my grandson Isaac's fifth birthday. <clears throat> so anybody who wants to call in and wish Isaac a happy birthday, he's at his new home in Texas, so they're listening online. But uh, happy birthday, grandson. So proud of you. I saw the big rig that your parents got you and you cruise around your new neighborhood in your big old Jeep. Uh, he's Texas. Been there a week. He's Texas already. Um, but if you want to wish Isaac a happy birthday, 800-227-5278, uh, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line. Okay, I'm going to start with a walk the talk segment here because I love what this teacher did in the great state of Indiana. And uh, this is a, it's just another, excuse me, Alabama. This is a great story of how the crabby atheist, angry humanist group that likes to send these threatening letters is actually having more and more people step up and say, no, you can't tell us what we're doing is wrong. The Krabby Atheist Group reached out on July the 21st to Lawrence County Schools Superintendent John Brett Smith, complaining about the fact that a teacher in Superintendent Smith's district, a first grade teacher in Alabama, uh, included in a lesson about Easter time, a coloring book picture of Jesus that had a scripture passage on that. And, and basically it's a something that was in the lesson plan and this crabby atheist group is not having it. As a matter of fact, Moulton Elementary School in Lawrence County School District in Alabama. Uh, this is what, I'm sorry, this is what the, the letter said, quote, we're concerned that a first grade teacher in the district's Moulton Elementary School taught students about Jesus Christ and Easter and also provided students with religious coloring book pages to take home. The coloring book in question actually featured the pictures of Jesus Christ, along with the words, Jesus is alive. And there was a reference to Mark 16, 6, that talks about the Lord's resurrection. Okay. According to the Krabby Atheist Group, there was a complaint from a concerned parent, who's never named, by the way. 
Never. It's always, we got a picture from somebody who's very concerned. There's a parent in the district who probably was not even somebody who was in the classroom, let alone at the school, let alone at the district. But they heard about this from a friend. And they say, this coloring book page is, quote, not included in the class curriculum and therefore uh, cease and desist immediately. According to a staff attorney from the Krabby Atheist Group, the purpose of the letter was, quote, to request that the district immediately investigate and ensure that that teacher and any other teachers in the district are no longer teaching students religious lessons or distributing religious materials to students or otherwise indoctrinating students into a particular religious belief. Okay. And they say the district must make certain that none of their employees are unlawfully and inappropriately indoctrinating students in religious matters by giving religious assignments, teaching about religion, or promoting their own personal religious beliefs. We ask that the district immediately investigate the situation to ensure that the teacher fully complies with the establishment clause and stops violating the rights of students and parents. Okay, and then they go on, they talk about Edwards versus Aguilar, this, that, and the other thing. And using a religious holiday like Easter as a pretext to teach religious lessons in a public school is unconstitutional, according to their... I'm only chuckling because when you see the way the district responded, John Brett Smith contends that the teacher actually did nothing wrong. Actually gave a statement to the Decatur Daily and said, from my point of view, an investigation is not warranted because the teacher was teaching from the course of study. He then continued to say every teacher in the state of Alabama is charged to thoroughly teach the course of study. That is covered under two objectives in the first grade course of study. Every There is grade level expectations for every grade in public school. And part of the grade level expectation in this class is that they would teach in social studies about different traditions and contributions of various cultures to the local community and state. Okay, so I'll quote, this is from the objective. We'll put this up at the bottomlineshow.com. The Alabama State Course of Study includes this language in their curriculum. Alabama Course of Study for the First Grade Social Studies states that students will, quote, identify traditions and contributions of various cultures in the local community and state. And then specific examples of these traditions and contributions include Kwanzaa, Christmas, Hanukkah, the 4th of July, and Cinco de Mayo. Now, Easter is not specifically mentioned as one of the examples. However, Superintendent Smith said, referring to that objective, if Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa are there, then the implication is Easter is also there as well. It's a religious holiday. And you could teach the secular aspect of Easter, and you can also teach the sacred aspect of Easter as well. Purely informational. Objective number 12. And by the way, objective number 11 here about Christmas, Kwanzaa, Hanukkah, and stuff like that. The implication is that every first grade teacher is teaching all of their students about Christmas, about Hanukkah, about Kwanzaa, and about Easter. So the idea that this crabby atheist group would come unglued because this woman had the courage to actually teach a lesson based on Alabama state school guidelines for first graders, directly quoted in the state objectives. And there's 10 objectives before this one. These are objectives, not objections, by the way. Objective 11 says that if we're going to teach about Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa, Easter is also included in that as well, as is also 
cultural traditions, Cinco de Mayo, Fourth of July. Objective number 12 in the first grade social studies curriculum declares that students, quote, will compare common and unique characteristics in societal groups, including age, religious beliefs, ethnicity, persons with disabilities, and equality between genders. Now, when I was in the first grade, we didn't talk about any of that stuff. This is very, very advanced. But Superintendent Smith said in objective number 12, part of the conversation is about religious beliefs. And the superintendent actually identified Easter as an aspect of religious belief. Is it, is it completely lost on the crabby atheist and angry humanist group that they're saying, you can't talk about Easter, but you better talk about Kwanzaa. You better talk about Christmas, but don't get too much of that Jesus stuff in there. Talk about Santa Claus and all that stuff. How is it right and fair? The Establishment Clause says you can't force your religion on somebody unless it's Hanukkah. Unless it's El Eid or one of the Muslim holidays. Unless it's uh, Ramadan. Oh, yeah, well, Ramadan, you have to do that. Oh, Ramadan, Muslim students. Yeah. But Easter. Easter? The superintendent continued, we definitely cover with the course of study all of these aspects. We want to make sure that classroom discussions are based on the course of study. We teach what has been approved by the state. The reason that the crabby atheist group rejects the comparison of saying Easter and Christmas go in the same conversation is because they say, well, Christmas is a national holiday with pagan origins and many seasonal and secular accompaniments. In contrast to Easter, which also has pagan origins and many seasonal and second. Oh, wait a minute. They also too say, well, Easter is, it's not a federal holiday. And so the crabby atheist group believe that the teacher went beyond the course of study. Well, that's why I'm bringing up the teacher who's not named in the complaint as an example of walking the talk. This is a woman who said, I'm going to follow the curriculum I'm going to follow the letter of the law here in the state of Alabama. And by golly, if we're teaching kids about Christmas and Kwanzaa and Hanukkah and all those other things, we are going to teach them about Easter too. Thank you, teacher. And John Brett Smith, the superintendent of the school district here in Alabama, for standing up for his teacher and saying, she didn't do anything wrong. As a matter of fact, you're asking us to do crabby atheists. You're asking us to do a thorough investigation of what was taught in the classroom. We're not going to do it. And the reason we're not going to do it is because there's no investigation warranted. I don't know if John Brett Smith is a Christian, but he certainly did the right thing legally and spiritually by his teacher. We'll put this article up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you have any examples of Christians who are not just talking about it, but literally living out their faith, Send it to us. Uh, just drop me a line, Roger at the bottom line show.com. Would love to hear from you. Uh, as we continue, Pastor and author Mike Novotny is going to join me. And we're going to talk about a brand new book that he has written that I think is going to be a way to grow your faith dramatically. Now, I don't always, often talk in these terms, but when you take a look at a parable of Jesus and you see what the parable tells us about spiritual growth and having faith, uh, I like what Mike has done with the parable of the sower. The book is called What's Big Starts Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. That's putting a positive spin on something that Jesus is actually warning us could potentially be a negative. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. We will be giving away a copy of the book later in the program today. And remember, it's Everyone Wednesday. So if you call in, even if you don't win this book, you're going to win something. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. By investing in the Wilson Financial Services 4D or four-dimensional account, your investment is guaranteed against loss. It provides long-term care benefits, permanent income benefits, and inflation benefits all at the same time. You know, I had a client come in this morning, and the first thing he asked me was, tell me about 4D money. And I said, well, 4D money is a fun thing. It's exactly the opposite of what you have now with your one-dimensional account with Ameritrade. You've been watching that thing drop like a rock since the first of the year. You're probably fed up with it. I said, this account, number one, the money never goes down. Number two, it has inflation benefits. Number three, it has long-term care benefits. Number four, it has permanent income benefits. And so when you put all these things on the same page and show it to a client, it sounds too good to be true. And that was his comment to me. I said, well, you know me a long time. You know it's true. I don't make stuff up. So he met with Tess, and we moved his Ameritrade account in a matter of 30 minutes. Ask Dennis Wilson and his team at Wilson Financial Services to explain the four dimensions of their 4D account. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. Well, it be it would be simple-minded of us to say that uh, you know everything's fine in the world today and no one has any sort of concern. I think the past couple of years, especially pandemic notwithstanding, more and more people are dealing with fears and uh, letting things that ordinarily wouldn't get to them get to them. But what happens when that happens in the body of Christ? Should we be all that surprised? Joining me today here on the bottom line for a conversation about that very issue is Mike Novotny. Mike uh, is a uh, author and speaker. He's part. Of, he's the pastor at the Core in Appleton, Wisconsin. He's the lead speaker on Time of Grace, which is a global media ministry that connects people to God through TV, print, digital resources, and the like. And for those of you who are watching at myhopenow.com, you can see he's very camera friendly. Uh, Mike has been on the Bottom Line show uh, for many, many times, talking about the multitude of books and resources that he has produced over the years. His latest book is a fascinating one, uh, one that, that part of scripture that perhaps you might not have uh, mined through and tilled through, uh, but you will after the next half hour. The book is called What Big Starts Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. And we have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Botany, welcome to The Bottom Line Show. Hey, Roger. Thanks for having me back. Well, I should say welcome back to The Bottom Line Show, and it's good to see you. I mean, it's yeah. nice to be having this Zoom conversation here for, for a change. Let's talk about the book for just a moment. We could see the seed. We could see something growing out of the ground on the cover. Uh, we talk about growing great faith. Help kind of help us get our minds centered on where we're going scripturally during this conversation today. Yeah. So the book is just zeroed in on one spot in the Bible, uh, the story that Jesus himself called the parable of the sower. And there's two big things that Jesus says in this story that it's really easy to miss, even if you're one of his followers. Um, the first thing is God's word is like a seed. I'm not a good... I'm not a good gardener. I actually ripped out the garden in my backyard. <laughs> I'm, so, I'm so bad at it. But uh, I, I do know this about seeds, that they are so, so small, like almost missable small, and yet they can grow into something so, so big. Mm -hmm. You know, so I, I think what Jesus is doing with the analogy, he's getting us like super fired up about the potential of opening the Bible. You know, it doesn't take a five-gallon drum worth of Bible Mm -hmm. It it takes a little seed. Yeah. So I, I think of people who talk about their life verse sometimes. Mm -hmm. You know, I just have this one little passage, just one little promise. It just got me through cancer or, you know, I was struggling in my relationships or I went through a divorce or I was facing death. And, you know, I don't have the whole Bible memorized. I, I probably couldn't list the 66 books of the Bible in order. But that that one little seed, you know, grows into such a big source of hope and peace. So first big truth. 
Jesus says God's word is like a seed. Well, I'll get, you know, be excited the next time you open the Bible at home mm-hmm. or go to church and hear the word. Yeah. Okay. Fair enough. Truth, truth number two, God's word is like a seed. <laughs> which <laughs> I don't know a lot about seeds, but I do know they're they're also so small that your average bird can gobble it up. Right. And a hot summer can wither it. Mm-hmm. And a bunch of weeds that you didn't put there, but they showed up there can choke it out before it produces anything good. Mm-hmm. And this is really what Jesus does in his story. He he gets us excited that if you're a person who hears the word, there's there's just amazing potential in your life. But if you think that just hearing the word, just going to church, just having a morning devotion, just listening to Christian radio, if you think that's going to turn you into this really mature, strong faith person, you're kind of thinking like a gardener who throws a bunch of seed on the dirt, walks away, and expects something awesome to grow. Right, right. So that's kind of what I unpack in the book, Walking Through Jesus Parable. Well, and I love the fact that you do that, because I think, you know, for most of us, when you hear there are certain parts of scripture that we most of us know or have heard the story so many times that we feel as though we've read it, even if we haven't actually, uh, you know, taken time to study it. But mm-hmm. when this parable of the seed and the sower is so powerful, when you consider what happens, because at the end of the day, we'll we'll understand the good seed, the good soil, well tended, grows up, you know, the abundant crop, the whole shoot match, without taking a step back and saying, wait, but only twenty five percent of the seed that was sown actually did bear fruit. I mean, it actually did bear a harvest. And so you're, you're drawing us into the fact that there is some risk and there is some, uh, well, you talk about the threats uh, that you have to overcome if you're going to grow your great faith. And I'm grateful, Mike Novotny, that you didn't make that the title you know, of the book, you know, six threats to growing great faith. It's like, wait a minute. I don't know if I want to read a book about threats, but the idea is when you take the seed and you have these different ways to grow, we have to look at soil. We have to look at seed, but then Mm -hmm. we also have to look at the potential pitfalls as well. Kind of walk us through, maybe you got a 35,000 foot overview first, and then we can dig a little deeper, pardon the pun, into what you've got here. Yeah. So the, the parable of the sower shows up three separate times in the Bible, um, Matthew 13, Luke chapter 8 and Mark chapter 4. It's one of the 30 parables that Jesus tells. And by word count, it actually gets the biggest word count out of all 30. So it's almost like the Holy Spirit saying to Bible readers, don't miss this. This is really really important for your disciples. Big red arrow right here pointing to these three. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. And as I kind of broke it down after reading all three versions, I found, you know, six threats, six dangers to faith, not a hot sun and hungry birds, but pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, and not waiting. Mm. Pride, pain, mm. worries, wealth, wanting, and not waiting. And they each have kind of a different effect. They're a different danger at different spots in our lives. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I give a chapter to each of those. Like, here's what that looks like in modern day Christianity. And here's with God's help, how to overcome those threats. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and we're talking about his brand new book called What's Big? Start Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com, a uh, a retelling, if you will, or maybe a a deeper dig, deeper dive into the parable of the seed and the sower. Uh, Pride seems like an obvious one. I mean, in terms of saying, well, yeah, that would be a threat. But how do you see it, Pastor Mike Novotny, manifesting itself in the church today, especially in light of the fact that we've been through, uh, you know, the pandemic is now an endemic, but then it might be something else. And then we've got inflation, stagflation, recession, uh, yeah. depression. I mean, there's so many things that are that are keeping our attention right now. Uh, yeah. Pride doesn't seem to be one of the ones that a lot of Christians may be concerned with. 
Yeah. Yeah. Pride in the story is when, you know, maybe someone hears the Bible, but their heart is kind of hard, like this stiff soil, this hard path that won't receive it. So I sometimes, when I, I'm not sure how you were as a teenager, Roger, but, you know, your parents need to give you a lecture because you're doing something really stupid mm-hmm. and, you know, they're speaking to you and you're hearing it. But to quote Jesus, you don't really have ears to hear it. Right. You're not, you're not getting out your notepad saying, well, dad, could you repeat point two of how dumb I am? Cause I really, I really like to learn that. <laughs> right. So you can be in the presence of truth, but if you're resistant to it, you don't, you don't want to hear it. You know, God's going to call you to repentance and change you. Um, this is kind of what the Pharisees were like, right? They had the mm-hmm. scriptures, the, the word made flesh was speaking the very truth to them, but did they have great faith? No, like mm. it didn't stand a chance because they, they weren't ready to change. They weren't ready to repent based on Jesus's teaching. Right. Right. You know, it's amazing to me how many people mistake confidence for arrogance or arrogance for confidence, you know, that, mm. and that, that pride that says, well, now, wait a minute, I want to be bold in my Christian faith. And mm. so therefore don't bother me with what the Bible actually says. I want to yeah. be bold in what I think it says. And yeah. this is, it sounds like the very issue that you're addressing, Mike Nabot. Yeah, yeah, it really is. For me, the key question is, is there anything that if I walked into church on Sunday and the pastor said, hey, for the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about blank. Mm-hmm. Is there anything I could put in that blank that my heart would would think, oh, maybe I'm going to visit my buddy's church for the next yeah. month. <laughs> you know? And it, you know, it could be something like, let's see what the Bible actually says about sexuality that's pleasing to God. Mm. Mm-hmm. It, it could be. How about this? Um, let's see what the Bible says, how we should treat and speak about governing authorities that we don't agree with. Ooh, that's a good one. Ooh. let's see what God says about materialism and how much of our wealth should be given to the poor. Mm-hmm. Husbands, we're going to talk about how to love your wives sacrificially, no matter how they're treating you, just like Jesus did for the church. Yeah. Right. There, there's enough of these things that if I just say them, you, you kind of think, Ooh, yeah. oh, this is going to hurt. This is, uh-huh. I, I know I'm not like hitting the bullseye with God's teaching on this. And so pride always wants to resist that because it loves the comfort of the status quo. And it's amazing how many people inside the church as well as outside the church in modern culture uh, will make that a stumbling block without even thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pastor and author Mike Novotny is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. The book is called What's Big? Start Small, uh, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. And the way you grow great faith is identifying great threats to your faith and then learning how to stand up against them with God's word, with prayer, and with fellowship. We have a link to the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. If you are worried or maybe you've experienced a season of tremendous wealth in uh, during the past couple of years. Uh, stay with us because Pastor Mike is going to level set us on both of those counts as we have this continuing conversation about his new book, What's Big Start Small. That's coming up next as The Bottom Line continues. Welcome back to The Bottom Line Show. I'm Roger Marsh. Great conversation today with Mike Novotny. The book we're talking about is What's Big Start Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. Uh, it's a parable of the sower kind of put into a contemporary setting. And looking at those six ways that you can grow great faith, and of course, the way you grow the great faith is by identifying what the six threats are to the growth in your life. Um, we're taking a break here at the midpoint of the conversation just to remind you about the book and the fact that today is Everyone Wednesday. We do have a copy of Mike Novotny's book to give away, and we'll be giving it away at the end of the conversation, which is going to air on the other side of this break. 
800-227-5278 is the number to call. 800-227-5278. If you want to start lining up, yesterday we had a mad rush for the for the DVDs from Jerry Newcomb at uh, uh, the uh, Providence Forum. And uh, so many people, I think the call spilled over toward the end of the program. Uh, today, every one of those people who called in, if you called in yesterday and didn't win anything, call in today, you're going to win something. Hopefully, it's a copy of Mike Novotny's book, What's Big, Start Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. And those six threats are pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, and not waiting. You're going to hear Mike explain those last few principles on the other side of this break. But I just want to jump in here before we continue to remind you that today is Everyone Wednesday here at the bottom line, uh, 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278 is the number to get you through to the bottom line. I appreciate what Mike is doing here for us, putting a positive spin on some potential negatives. Uh, hear what he has to say on the other side of this break about this continued co talk conversation as the bottom line continues. Pastor and author Mike Novotny is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh, and if you're watching this at myhopenow.com, it's nice to see Mike Novotny. It's the first time we've ever seen each other, isn't it, Mike? I don't, have, we, yeah. have, have we shaken hands? Or I mean, it, it, I, I, it's 21st century ministry where you spend all your time on the phone, and all yeah. of a sudden, here comes Zoom. Was it tough for you with the core and the ministries that you were involved in during the pandemic to maintain the kind of ministry you felt was effective, or did, did it become more effective? for you to be able to reach more people this way. Yeah. Um, you know, as a local church, definitely more difficult there, man, maybe it's my, my issue, but standing in an empty room and looking at a blinking red dot and making right. a sermon and calling that church. Oh, mm -hmm. that was, yeah. that was painful for me. I'll bet. Um, but being part of time of grace, which is a media ministry. So a lot of people were at home. So be to be able to minister to them through the TV program or the, the YouTube stuff that we put out. So local church, a lot more difficult online media resources just like exploded through the roof. Mm -hmm. So God gave us a, he humbled us with one hand and he lifted us up with the other hand. So we, we ended up okay <laughs> through it, but yeah, it was a, it was a challenge. I'm, I'm glad to hear that. We're talking about six threats that Jesus lists in the parable of the seed and sower. And uh, Mike has uh, very creatively, and I appreciate the fact that he put a positive spin on these threats by saying uh, the book is called what's big start small, six ways to grow great faith. And uh, we talked about pride. Uh, I want to, before the break, I mentioned the two that kind of go hand in glove. One is worries and the other is wealth. Uh, I noticed, Mike, and I'd be curious to get your take on this too. I was unpleasantly surprised with the number. I mean, I know the world was kind of in pandemic mode and there were a lot of people who were losing it. You know, what if we get COVID? We're all going to die, that type of thing. And I don't want to minimize COVID. I've had it. It wasn't pleasant. So, I mean, I'm not trying to take anything away from that. But the people who really kind of made me kind of look into the visual, I'm doing the dog head turn right now going, huh? <laughs> where was that? Where the people who were in the pulpit, who were people of men and women of really great faith, people that I known as stalwart Christians for years, who the minute this happened, it seemed like God didn't exist for them. And everything was about, if I don't have the mask, if I don't have the vaccine, I don't know why I don't want to die. And what's God doing here? Can you talk about some of the worries of the world and how, I mean, it doesn't have to be on a pandemic level, but oftentimes we do find the truest measure of our faith is what we worry about. Yeah. You're, I wish you were wrong, Roger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I wish yeah. I was wrong too. Yeah. yeah. That really, I think it exposed a, a lot of us, you know, this book is about great faith, which in a sense is like a, just a great trust in the things that God has said. Yeah. And that, that peeled back some layers for a bunch of us to see that maybe we only 
were super confident about the goodness of God because he had given us a pretty good life. And when that was rattled a little bit, um, I, th I think God held up a mirror to a lot of people in the church to help us realize, well, maybe we're putting our trust in the wrong spot. Yeah. Yeah. In particular in the story, though, when Jesus is talking about the worries of this life, in context, he's actually talking about the worries that make you too busy. Hmm. So in Greek, he uses the same word that he uses with his friend Martha in that story from Luke 10. Yes. You know, there was Jesus like ready to give her great faith and Mary's sitting at his feet, soaking it in. But Martha feels like she can't. And as she's running around, you know, preparing the perfect meal, being the great hostess, Jesus says to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried. You're worried and upset about many things. So she wasn't worried about a pandemic or the Roman Empire. She was worried that if she actually sat down, would, would people think she's a bad hostess? Mm -hmm. Would the meal not be as impressive to the guests who've come to her house? I find it fascinating. I, I bought this little pack of tomato seeds. And, you know, on the front of the package are these big, ripe, beautiful, mouth-watering tomatoes. On the, on the back of the package are the directions from the expert gardeners on how to grow those tomatoes. Mm -hmm. About half of the directions on the back are about the amount of space that these seeds need. Hmm. Like, if you just pour a billion of these into your little garden, yeah. and all the rows are super close together, and there's all these weeds and thorns, you're, you're not going to get tomatoes, because hmm. the nature of a seed... It needs more space than you think. Mm -hmm. And so in Jesus's teaching, he puts these three things in, in one category, worries, wealth, and the desire for other things, wants. Wanting. Yeah. yeah. He says, sometimes are we Christians so busy? It's like we're, you know, you squeeze in a little church on Sunday, but you're not even thinking about the sermon in the parking lot because you're checking your phone, mm -hmm. you're making plans, you're running to the kids, you know, sports tournament. You might hear a great sermon on loving your neighbor or loving your spouse, but I ain't got time for that. Like <laughs> work's busy. I got to cut the backyard of this beautiful home that, you know, so yep. for, for a hundred different reasons, I wonder if we Christians have overcommitted our schedules thinking that as long as I squeeze in a devotion or a church service or a little Christian right. music, I'm going to have great faith. Yep. No, 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 no. That's, that's not how seeds work. So Jesus is giving us permission like he did when he invited his friend Martha, well, slow down a little bit. Say no to a bunch of things. I know you're worried about what people think about you, but if you want to have really robust faith, you, you can't just hear the word. You need some time to meditate on it and then put it into practice. Boy, that now you're hitting me right between the eyes, and I wish you weren't right about that, <laughs> Magnavati, but boy, howdy, you sure are. And and in all honesty, have a little fun with this. Uh, why did you plant tomatoes? I mean, they're not done. They're never done, right? Maybe that's a, there's a good metaphor there. Even you cut them open, they still look like they're still trying to cook or something like that. But but I appreciate what you're saying about this. And man, we live that here. Um, I'm talking with Mike Novotny, uh, the author of the book, when big, What Big Starts Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. Link for the book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. At the first of the year, a friend reached out to me and offered me a ministry opportunity that I never could have imagined would have been possible at my age and in this season of life. And I took it. I mean, we just, Lisa and I prayed about it. And I mean, literally, I was giddy it, it, the night before I first started to do this. And within four months, I had worn myself down to the point where I was at exhaustion level. I wound mm. up contracting pneumonia because I had pneumonia and I was compromised. I wound up with COVID, I was in the hospital for a couple of days. And it was amazing how easy it was for me to pick up the phone and call that ministry and say, I can't do this. Wow. You know, because there's no room here, you know, yes. for, for, for me to be a husband, to be a dad, uh, to do the things that I need to do. 
And I'm, I'm thinking about the way you space the seeds out, you know, as you were talking about that, as much as I have this great disdain for tomatoes, I love ketchup. I just, you know, tomatoes themselves, I've never had a good relationship with <laughs> avocados too, but that'll be another, uh, I could give you a whole li list of things as to why you shouldn't have avocados, <laughs> but they're, they're very good for you. But, but I, under, I, I could completely resonate with what you're saying in terms of planting them properly, putting them in the right soil, doing everything the way they are supposed to grow and realizing that, there's a way that if, if you're going to bear that kind of fruit, um, it has to be done the right way. Uh, Mike, we've got a couple minutes left. Our, all of our conversations go by much too quickly. We should just put <laughs> you for an hour next time because uh, I think we, we need it. But I want you to talk, if you would, about the not waiting part, that mm -hmm. last threat that Jesus addresses, because I get the sense, I mean, I've talked to a lot of ministry leaders, you maybe have too, um, who during the pandemic, their ministries thrived. I mean, they just record setting years for people served, people reached uh, fundraising contributions. People were just, you know, with you, you know, where you are. And then mm. the next step is, well, we have all this money. We have all these resources. We have all these people. Let's go. And, mm. you know, for us as Christians, too, sometimes we see something and think God's telling us now, now. And sometimes mm. God's saying, whoa, instead of go. Talk about why that's a threat to growing great faith. Yeah. Uh, so sometimes... I'm getting the idea of not waiting from the idea of a seed that if I'm really excited about growing, pick your favorite fruit or vegetable, mm -hmm. and I stick it in the ground on Monday, and then Tuesday I go back and look at the soil, well, it's not working. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> like, My oh. seed's broken. Help me, <laughs> Mike. <laughs> oh, someone tricked me. Yeah. Like, no, okay, we, we, know, we know that seeds take months. We know that trees take years. Do we recognize that about God's truth? Mm. So I go to church, I'm driving home. I didn't get anything out of that. Why am I going to church? Right. Um, you know, maybe maybe God planted that little seed in your mind for a conversation you're going to have a week from now or yes. six months from now. Maybe this isn't about today or tomorrow. Maybe it's about two years from now. Right. And so it's just a good encouragement that sometimes when we read the Bible or we're getting into these spiritual disciplines, we don't see immediate results. And, you know, we live in a 5G kind of instant <laughs> internet drive through fast food kind of world where it's really hard for us to remember the way the natural world works, the way human development works. I mean, I didn't come out of my mama's womb with a mustache. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> I didn't end up six, two and a half, you know, uh -huh, like, thankfully uh -huh. for, for Judy when I was born. So, <laughs> you know, mature people, mature gardens take time to grow. And God's truth is like that. So don't let the devil trick you thinking this isn't working. Mm. It is working. Maybe you don't see it just yet. But Isaiah 55 says that when God gives his word, it always comes back for the purpose for which he sent it. Amen. So believe that, trust that, don't bail on the on the process or the plan. Like the, the word works. It, it works every time. I love that. Mike Novotny is my guest, and I'm going to ask you if you could stay for one more segment, Mike, if you would, because I've got a couple more questions I'd really like to address, but we have to take a break here. Is that okay? I'd love to. Okay, perfect. Mike Novotny is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. Pastor Mike is the author of the book, what, What's Big, Start Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. It's a, a deep dive into the parable of the seed and the sower. We've got a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. More of this conversation in just a moment as The Bottom Line continues. Here at Kbright, we are proud to recommend Stephanie and Jim Cover of Cover Law because they take such good care of their clients. I was coming home, it was like two days before Christmas, and I was sitting at the bottom of a hill, and somebody just came smashing into me. Like, they didn't even break or anything. They were coming down a steep hill. The people that hit me had 
no insurance, no license, no proof of anything. I had a lot going on in my life at the at the time. I was busy at work. I was doing a lot of overtime. My husband came down with cancer. That was really a hard point in my life for my husband and I. She was by my side trying to help me through the accident and giving me personal support and telling me to keep the faith. And I was all ready like to, you know, throw in the towel. And she, she just kept me going. They're just hardworking people. They know their stuff. They're very educated. They make you feel comfortable. They stick with you all the way. I used them as attorneys. Now they're friends. And once in a while, I tease them. Do I need to get in trouble so I could retain you guys? <laughs> I'd do anything to help those guys. I highly recommend them. I mean, I haven't had need for an attorney before, and I fell into the right hands. In the event of an accident, call Cover Law right away, 877-214-4935. That's 877-214-4935. Pastor Mike Novotny is my guest today here on The Bottom Line. I'm Roger Marsh. Mike's new book is called What's Big Starts Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. Mike, the uh, uh, pastor of the core uh, church in Appleton, Wisconsin, and is the lead speaker of Time of for Time of Grace, which is the global media ministry, using television and print and digital resources. This new book is a, I think it's going to be a big help, a, a, dare I say, a game changer for a lot of people in the body of Christ. But Mike, you and I were just talking during the break about when it comes to then, okay, what is our potential for growing great faith? Um, not that it's something that we would measure and say, God, I'd like, you know, a couple of homers of this and a couple of egos <laughs> of that or whatever, but rather, you know, because I need that extra part in my in my life. But there is one constant in terms of growing great faith. And uh, you talk about the need for good soil in our lives. I mean, talk about what we can do to make sure that the soil of our hearts is plantable. If yeah. For other reasons. yeah, probably two really quick things. You know, number one, good soil is kind of the opposite of the six threats and the not so good soil that we've talked about. Mm -hmm. So if you can overcome the pride and receive God's word, if you can handle the pain of everyone not loving God's word, if you're not overcommitted and you're so worried about pursuing wealth and saying yes to everything, get the space to grow and you wait for it. So I, I think that's a good definition of what good soil is. Mm -hmm. But then I, I think probably what gives me the most hope about the story, you know, after studying all the versions of it in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, there's these four different kinds of soil. There's these six threats. I almost expected Jesus to call the story the parable of the different soils. Mm -hmm. You know, if I'm a pastor picking the big idea and breaking it down into parts for a sermon, that's probably what I would have done. But this is one of the, it might be the only story that Jesus gives a name to. Mm -hmm. And he himself calls it the parable of the sower. And kind of a light bulb went on for me yeah. like, oh, wait, yeah. wait, the sower isn't the main character. He like, yeah, he tossed the seed, but then he's gone. Then it's just like just the soil. Right. And I love, it's kind of like Jesus kind of winking at us saying, whoa, whoa, whoa. If you think that becoming good soil is just about you. If you think it's just like, yeah, I got to pull out these weeds and I got to, you know, not be proud. Mm -hmm. It's just this comfortable thing. Like, no, no, no. This is all about the God who is giving you his word, the, the spirit who is living, dwelling in your heart as a member of the body of Christ. This is about Jesus and, and the father as good gardeners, you know, working in that soil, pulling out the weeds, their kindness leading you to repentance, their grace offering you forgiveness. So, you know, just when all the threats were about to overwhelm me and make me think, I can't do this. I'm, I'm never going to have great faith. Jesus kind of wraps his arms around us and says, whoa, 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 let me introduce you to my father, the gardener. Mm. Like he, he is the star of this show. Let me call this the parable of the sower. Mm -hmm. Amen. 
amen to that because I mean that that's where it all begins and ends for us. And I was you were mentioning those those different verses that remind us of of what our Christian life looks like. I, I couldn't help but also think of Philippians one. You know, the one who began a good work in you mm-hmm. is going to be faithful to complete it, yes. and um, it, he's going to do that work. So it's our job to receive it and not impede it. And uh, I think you've given us a lot of food for thought, literally, with what would grow out of the seed, but also uh, uh, figuratively in terms of our spiritual growth as well. Uh, Pastor Mike Novotny, I love the fact that our times go by so quickly. Um, they're, they're always rich and beneficial for our listeners, but selfishly, I love talking to you too. And I'm grateful that this new book is helping people already. It's called What's Big Starts Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith by Pastor Mike Novotny. We have a link for the book up at thebottomlineshow.com. Mike, great to see you. And thanks for being with us today here on The Bottom Line Show. Thanks for having me. Have a great day, Roger. Thanks, Mike. You too, as we jump out of Zoom mode here, now back into the studio and uh, give you an opportunity to win the book we've been talking about for the past half hour or so by Pastor Mike Novotny. The book is called What's Big Starts Small, Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. And those six ways are to avoid the threats that can keep the seeds from growing in our hearts, pride, pain, worries, wealth, wanting, and not waiting. We have one copy of the book to give away, but remember, it's Everyone Wednesday, so everybody who calls is going to win something. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through to the bottom line. And boy, I'll tell you, you know, what we've seen, we've seen this happen so many times before in the culture with individuals, people who I, I mentioned during the pandemic, it seemed like there were quite a few folks that I knew that had a very strong foundation of faith, or so I thought. They talked a great game. And then the the pandemic hit, and all of a sudden it shook a lot of people to its core or to their core. And it, it, it amazes me. You know, I, I was talking with a local pastor yesterday, was talking about how his church is growing to the point where they're planning 10 new congregations in, over the next 10 years. And they've already planted four of them during the pandemic. You know, it's amazing how they're growing. But part of the reason why they're expanding is because other churches weren't able to make it. And I wonder how many members of those congregations were victimized by the things that Mike Novotny and I were talking about. The idea that there was pain in their life. And, you know, there's always going to be some measure of pain. It's either the pain of change or the pain of regret. And when the pain of staying the same is greater than the pain of change, we'll change. I mean, we're stubborn, but we'll do that. There's pride. The the idea that confidence is somehow mislabeled um, arrogance. And a lot of people don't know what biblical confidence looks like. Biblical confidence is Elijah in 1 Kings 18. Worldly confidence becomes arrogance. And it's that guy who goes in for the slam dunk and then winds up throwing the ball into the stands because he missed. The worries of life, the pain, the pride, the wealth that people not only, and it's not even a question of having it. Sometimes it's the unhealthy and ungodly pursuit of it. Not realizing that what you have in that moment is what God wants for you. And if that's what God wants for you, whether it's, you know, Paul says in Philippians 4, I've been in plenty, I've been in want, I could do all things through him who gives me strength. Those are the things that we should be looking for. And then, of course, the the not waiting, you know, the, the wanting. That I don't want to I, give it to me. Lord, give me patience and give it to me now. Um, it's amazing how things are really on the move and people are are, are shifting that way. Uh, Mike Novandi's book is up at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, six great ways to grow great faith. It's by avoiding those threats. The book is called What's Big Start Small. It's the parable of the sower. 800-227-5278. 
800-227-5278 gets you through to the bottom line show. We're going to take the break a little early. Uh, heads up for all the affiliates who are listening now. On the other side of this break, I want to do a little analysis, balance, and clarity really quickly about what happens when we deviate and move away from the principles Pastor Mike Novotny was talking about and how one mainline denomination is seeing their membership just completely erode. And when one of their seminal cornerstone churches recently celebrated its 100th anniversary, it kind of gave us uh, an idea of what the autopsy may wind up looking like for this large mainline denomination. We're going to talk about that coming up next as the bottom line continues. And boy, it is, uh, by the way. <laughs> now the sky is crying or Texas flood. Little Stevie Ray Vaughn. I just got off the phone with my daughter before I came on the air today. She took uh, Isaac to the uh, water park in Houston. And the sky started crying, and Texas started flooding. <laughs> they said, what the heck, man? It's August 3rd. They said, welcome to Texas. Uh, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through to the bottom line show. We're giving away a copy of Pastor Mike Novotny's book called uh, What's Big Start Small? Six Ways to Grow Great Faith. And around this Everyone Wednesday, everybody who calls in, whether you win Mike's book or not, is going to win something. So let's keep Teresa busy today. 800-227-5278. 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, the number to get you through uh, to the bottom line. I was going to take a look at this uh, this church in Texas, and I'll, we'll put the article up at thebottomlineshow.com. The Evangelical Lutheran Church in America had a, a congregation, Central Lutheran Church of Dallas, that celebrated its 100th anniversary recently. Uh, the congregation recently merged with 70-year-old Bethany Lutheran Church of Dallas, and even the merging has, and not even the pandemic, I mean, during the pandemic, the ELCA closed three congregations in the North Texas, Northern Louisiana Synod. There are 65 across the country. But since 2013, they lost six more congregations. The ELCA, of which I used to be a part of, and left the church. Well, our church left the ELCA. Um, they were created in 1988. The 2.85 million member Lutheran Church in America joined forces with the 2.25 million member American Lutheran Church and the Association of Evangelical Lutheran Churches had 100,000. That gave them a membership of over 5.1 million. And here we are 30 plus years later and now they're down to 3 million members. And they estimate by 2050, they'll be down to 67,000. Now, part of the reason why is that during 1991, the church affirmed those with same-sex attraction as individuals created by God. But by 2009, they decided that they would allow people in monogamous, same-gender relationships to serve as ministers. That's when our church got out of the way of that. It's interesting how when you start putting up your own obstacles, pride and the like, what happens to your faith, what happens to your faith journey, and in this case, what happens to your congregation? May it be a lesson to us that those barriers that keep us from spiritual growth, that Pastor Mike Novotny identifies in his book, What's Big, Start Small, uh, you're not going to grow spiritual fruit if you are being impacted by these six threats. The six ways to grow is to deal with the six threats, of course. And the six threats are pride, pain, not waiting, wealth, wanting, and worries. Highly recommend Mike's book to you. It's up at thebottomlineshow.com, and we're giving away a copy right now. Uh, phones are getting ready to close on this giveaway, so give us a call at 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. That's the number to get you through 
to the bottom line. As we continue, I'm going to take a look at the life and legacy of one man by the name of Vin Scully, uh, the former Dodger announcer. He retired about six years ago after the 2016 season, after 67 years behind the microphone for both the Brooklyn Dodgers and then the Los Angeles Dodgers. A great man of faith. Uh, I've reached out to my colleague, John Strage, who worked for the, uh, well, he's a writer for Golf Digest, still does a little bit of part-time work in retirement years. He's been doing that for 25 at least. But before that, he worked for the Orange County Register in the Los Angeles Times and was a sports writer and reporter and had a bird's eye view of the Vin Scully career. Uh, knew of him, met him on several occasions. Uh, what a class act he was and a great man of faith as well. Uh, I've asked John to join me uh, coming up for the last half hour of the program. We're going to have a conversation about the legacy of Vin Scully, uh, what it meant to him to be part of the baseball world. And uh, actually, as a matter of fact, Todd, I think we've got a little bit of audio. This is something that's prepared by our friends at MLB Network. Do you have those clips ready? Uh, okay, let's go ahead. Let's fire off now. This is a Vin Scully uh, retrospective cut number one. Many years ago, a little redheaded boy was walking home from school, passing a Chinese laundry, and stopped to see the score of a World Series game posted in the window. The Yankees beat the Giants 18-4 on October the 2nd, 1936. Well, the boy's reaction was pity for the Giants, and he became a rabid Giants fan from that day forward, until the joyous moment when he hired to broadcast Brooklyn Dodger games in 1950. Ironically, October the 2nd, 2016, will mark my final broadcast of a Giants-Dodger game. And it will be exactly 80 years to the day since that little boy fell in love with baseball. God has been very generous to that little boy, allowing him to fulfill a dream of becoming a broadcaster and to live it for 67 years. Mm, and the faith that he uh, so freely shared all throughout his broadcasting uh, and the television world, uh, everyone's mourning the loss of Vin Scully, but we're rejoicing because Vinny is with the Lord now after 94 years here on earth. And the, uh, the one of the things that I know John Strage and I talked about uh, often about Vin Scully was his attitude toward the world we live in now and earthly possessions and, and how little of it meant that much, but the relationships meant everything and how grateful he was. I mean, to find somebody who was that gifted in the announcing booth, who spoke freely of his faith, often gave thanks to God for the position that he had. I talked about that confidence versus arrogance. You wouldn't find an arrogant bone had been Vincent Edward Scully's body. And uh, he impacted so many people. I, for one, was thrilled that his uh, that my uh, social media feed was just jammed full of Vin Scully tributes. And uh, so on the other side of this break, we're going to devote the last half hour of the program to the legacy of Vin Scully. John Strage is going to join me from Colorado. Uh, we're going to have a conversation about it uh, and also just give you a chance to reminisce a little bit about uh, Vin and what he meant not only to the baseball world, but also to the body of Christ as well. Vin Scully remembered on the other side of this break as the bottom line continues. So keep it right here. Well, today here on The Bottom Line, we're going to take a slightly different turn for this segment. In case you did not hear the uh, news last night, 
uh, Dodger announcer Vin Scully, a legendary baseball guy and also football guy and golf guy and just an all-around great humanitarian, uh, is home with the Lord now at the age of 94. And uh, it was a, a real jolt to me, and it was somewhat refreshing to see our social media feeds with so many people, just the outpouring of support for this guy. Whether you're a Dodger fan or not, he was just a tremendous human being. And today here on The Bottom Line, I want to start this segment by uh, uh, welcoming in a, a good friend, John Strege, a former uh, columnist and writer with the Orange County Register in the Los Angeles Times, recently uh, hung up the golf clubs from Golf Digest, and uh, he's the author of five books, including A Snowflake Called Hannah, which we have featured prominently here on the Bottom Line Show, about uh, John and Marlene's daughter, Hannah Strege, who is the first snowflake adoption. And uh, if you haven't read that book, we've got a link up for it at thebottomlineshow.com. Uh, John Strege, welcome back to the Bottom Line Show today. Roger, it's always great to talk to you. Thank you. Well, and likewise, the feeling is mutual. I, I, I know that you covered uh, Southern California sports for many, many many years, especially, you know, with the Times and the Register and covering Mangels, Dodgers, all sorts of things like that. Uh, what was your initial reaction? I, I messaged you late last night and asked you to be on the program. And at that point, I don't know if you'd heard the news that Vinny had passed away. No, I didn't hear it till I got your message this morning, actually. Mm -hmm. And uh, my initial reaction, well, then I immediately went to the rest of the internet to, you know, see what I could find out. But my initial reaction was, you know, at 94 years old, you, th you know, there's an inevitability about it. Sure. And still, you're, it jarred me. You know, it was one of those deals. The guy was so beloved. I love the guy. Um, first met him in 1978. Hmm. Um, just a wonderful human being. Yeah. Talk about what his role was in the life track and the lifeline and the soundtrack of so many people. Cause I hear this over and over again. I'm 60, be 61 next month. I grew up at a time when the transistor radio was first starting to happen. It was not uncommon for us to bring our little Panasonic or, you know, whatever we had with us to the game. And of course, for me, I was going to Anaheim stadium and listening to Dick Emberg and Don Wells do the Dale. But every now and again, we would make it up to LA and go see uh, the Dodgers. It was Vin Scully and Jerry Doggett. Vin just had this way of kind of creating this narrative with, as far as the game went. And everybody was there not only watching it, but listening to it as well. The state that was unique, wasn't it? It was incredible. I was talking to somebody earlier today about that. We moved to Southern California in 1963 from Detroit, hmm. where I was an Ernie Harwell. Fan yeah, sure. The Tiger games. And I, had, I was fortunate to meet him later when I was on the baseball beat. But hmm. uh, yeah, my Went to a lot of games at Dodger Stadium, and that was true. You'd sit in the stands, and uh, there were so many transistor radios that you could, wherever you're sitting, you could hear Vin Scully calling the game. I mean, it was yeah. incredible, and I've never experienced that anywhere else. Yeah, it really, it, it's a whole new dimension. And I think the thing that I appreciated about Vin was it didn't matter which game, whether he was with NBC doing a national game or the World Series or the playoffs or doing Dodger games, he always had such a respect for the game first and foremost. And then, okay, the Dodgers pay me. So, you know, you would think he was a, a homer, as it were, in terms of loving the Dodgers. But I love his respect for the game and is also his respect for the audience, too. Uh, as a writer, you know what that's like when you put things on, you know, on paper and then people respond to what you've, you've written. Uh, talk about the gift that he had. He was a great, for, for someone who earned his living in front of a camera, in front of a microphone, he was a really good writer, too. Yes, he was. And to your point, let's say I'm covering a game that he's broadcasting and something remarkable happens in the ninth inning. I've got time to think about it a little bit, what I'm going to write. He's got to do it on the spot. And he right. was 
brilliant at it. I mean, over and over again with the right words and knowing when to shut up, which is a gift that not many, especially on television, not many sportscasters have anymore. Yeah, that's uh, for sure. He was, just, he was one of a kind. Yeah, I love that. John Strege is with me today here on The Bottom Line, a former writer for the Los Angeles Times, Orange County Register, and Golf Digest. We're reflecting on the life and legacy of Vin Scully. And of course, he's got uh, the link for John's books up at thebottomlineshow.com. I really recommend that you check them out. Uh, John, let's let's talk about the 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 man Vin Scully. I mean, obviously, I, not all of us had a chance to meet him. I did. I was presented with an autographed picture of his uh, from many years ago for uh, thanks for some work that I did for a Christian radio station, and I I, I tre- treasure that and cherish it. You, uh, of course, had got to interact with him when you were covering, uh, you know, Los Angeles Dodger baseball. What was it like to be in the presence of a guy like Vin Scully? He was the most down-to-earth guy you could ever imagine, and he was a superstar. I mean, he was a superstar even by player standards. Mm -hmm. Um, I was talking to somebody earlier today. I think this was in the 80s, you know, before the really large contracts started appearing. Um, I recall hearing a story that Vin was the highest-paid player in the Dodger, highest-paid person in the Dodger organization. Uh-huh. Because Peter O'Malley considered him the most valuable to the organization. Mm-hmm. And yet, you know, he had to have had an ego, but you would never know it. I mean, the most down to earth, polite to everybody. Yeah. Well, I think there's a big difference between, and this is where the faith component comes in. You heard him talk about God. You heard him talk about prayer and being blessed and thankful. Uh, there's a big difference between confidence and arrogance. And I know you've been around both types of people in your career yes. on, in terms of the ones who have that kind of godly confidence that says, you know, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow, God's with me. And the arrogance that said, hey, look, it's all about me. And and I, I, I for as a fan, just watching him and a observing him from afar. I never sensed that arrogance was ever a part of Vince Scully's DNA. There's no question. Uh, and again, it, it didn't matter whether you were a superstar player or, you know, a lowly sports writer like myself, he treated everybody equally. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, what a gift from a guy who was, you know, one of the most popular guys in Southern California for right. decades. Yeah. Yeah. John Strege is with me today here on The Bottom Line, award-winning author and journalist, a former writer with the Los Angeles Times and Orange County Register. We're reflecting on the life and legacy of Vin Scully today here on The Bottom Line. Let's talk about the faith component. I mean, obviously, Vinny wasn't the kind of guy who was going to have communion or lead an altar call or whatever, but he really did live out his faith in the way he treated other people. Uh, talk about what your interactions were like with him. I, recently, I noticed you posted on social media this morning, uh, your last encounter with him around 2014, 2015 really kind of stands out for you. Yeah, it did. It's, uh, so I hadn't been to a major league game in 20 years. I'd gone to work for Golf Digest magazine. Han, my daughter, Hannah, wanted to go to a game. She'd never been to a major league game. So hmm. I took Marlene and Hannah to, it was Dodgers Rockies game, 2015 in April. And I have a lifetime baseball writers pass so I can get into the press box anywhere in the country. Uh, so about the third inning, I, you know, I wanted to go say hi to some few friends and we're still covering the game sports writers, but also to see if I could get in to say hi to Vin, yeah. uh, which I did between innings and you know, he asked what I was doing, and I said I was working for Sports or Golf Digest. And all he wanted to talk about was Jordan Spieth's victory in, <laughs> in the Masters the week before. Of course, yeah. Vin used to do golf for 
uh, CBS too. And it was an avid golfer, but that's all he wanted to talk about, but he was uh, so gracious. Uh -huh. Um, I, I love the guy. Yeah. Yeah. He seemed like he was a very lovable man and, and very likable at the same time. And that's not an easy thing to do. John Strage is with me today here on the bottom line, a former writer for the Los Angeles times, orange County register and golf digest. We're reflecting on the life and legacy of Vin Scully. And of course he's got uh, the link for John's books up at the bottom line show.com. I really recommend that you check them out. We're reflecting on the life and legacy of Dodger great Vin Scully, who is now with the Lord after spending 94 glorious years with us here on earth. More of my conversation with John Strakey in just a moment as the bottom line continues. Do something productive with your money over the next three years. Invest in Dennis Wilson's real estate-backed 6% CD alternative. You know, with the current administration, you've got three things that you can do. You can stay in the market for the next three years and watch your account go up and down and see what happens. Option two is take your money, put it in the money market, hold on to it, and hope that the Fed raises interest rates. Or number three, you can put your money into our exclusive 6% account. You've got your money safe and sound in a hard asset over the next three years. At the end of three years, you evaluate where you want to be. You want to try the market, you go back. You want to put it into a CD, you go back. Or you just want to reinvest for another three years at 6%. But in the interim, you have made 6% for three years instead of zero. Instead of riding the up and down elevator of the market or leaving your money in the bank earning nothing, you can earn 6% over the next three years guaranteed with Wilson Financial Services. Call 800-696-9970, 800-696-9970 for simply better alternatives. John Strage is with me today here on The Bottom Line, a former writer for the Los Angeles Times, Orange County Register, and Golf Digest. Uh, John, from the writing standpoint, talk about the giftedness of Vin Scully. I mean, you appreciate good writing, and I've seen you go to, you know, go to the wall with people who don't necessarily write all that well and say, boy, this is really, you know, kind of bothering me in some of your postings. Uh, a guy like Vin Scully, though, the poetry, I mean, how do you come up with a little roller up the first baseline behind the bag? It gets through Buckner, and here comes Knight in the Reds. I mean, how, how do you do that on the, on the moment? I mean, have you ever been in a situation? Is that taught? Is that instinct? I mean, talk about the giftedness here. I mean, because everybody has talent. But right. we each have a gift or two, and it seems like his was being able to write with words that he spoke. And on the spot, mm -hmm. you know, without, because nothing is scripted in, in a game, so he doesn't know that, you know, Buckner's going to make that error, and yet the right words come at the right time, and then I, I think it's a gift from God, frankly. Yeah. I mean, he's been this good for so long, and... Uh, and then again, as I said earlier, he knows when to be quiet after, you know, after Buckner made that error and he made his call, there was two minutes of, he didn't say anything. It was just right. the crowd and the pictures on television. Mm -hmm. I mean, the guy was a genius. Yeah. I'm talking with John Strage today here on the bottom line, a Christian sports writer wrote for golf digest, the orange County register, Los Angeles times author of four sport related books. And the fifth of course is a snowflake called Hannah, which is a fascinating look at John and Marlene's adoption journey with their daughter, Hannah, who is the first frozen embryo to be adopted. And then uh, Hannah's in grad school now. Is she, has she finished her master's yet, John? Uh, she's got one year left uh, going to Baylor university. It's online. Uh, graduate program uh, mm -hmm. get, to get her master's in social work. Love it. She would like to get into adoptions and 
And that's her goal. I was going to say, who better than Hannah? I mean, especially with testimonies that she's written for congressional groups and even the uh, uh, amicus brief, I believe, that she was able yes. to file for uh, yep. the overturning of Roe versus Wade, which has got to make you proud as a dad. John, you, you and I have talked often about sports. We love sports. And we know that a lot of guys especially love the sporting world. The passing of Vince Scully, though, has struck a nerve with so many different people because I think whether you were a Dodger fan or not, you knew who this guy was. And this kind of goes hand in glove with where God has been leading you, writing-wise, with regard to the intersection of faith and the sporting world. Give us maybe 90 seconds of what you're seeing and why this is so important for us to recognize that sports are good entertainment, but there's, there's some biblical connections, too, that if we're wise, we'll let God kind of build us up in our faith by the way we play and appreciate sporting events. There's no question. And, you know, in the social media age, there's more platforms available to Christian athletes to share their faith, whether it be a soundbite, post-game interview, uh, Twitter. Steph Curry and Russell Wilson have used Twitter beautifully to, mm -hmm. to spread the word. You know, without... Um, you know, being overbearing about it, you know, without pushing it on people, but just there's so many opportunities now with social media. And so I've been thinking a lot about the intersection of Christianity and sports and why it's so important. Yeah. It, and it's important for us to recognize it too. I understand that, you know, it's, I've parented three kids. They played youth sports growing up. I've seen the parent who gets out of control. I've seen the kid who is being groomed for something that you and I both know is not going to happen, which is a right. quote unquote professional career. I mean, that's where the gift versus the talent comes in. And yet I see it all throughout scripture, you know, and I know you do too. These examples where Paul talks about beating his body and making a slave and using boxing analogies and things like yeah. that. Let's run with perseverance, the race set out before us. I mean, th th these aren't just kind of raw, raw metaphors. I mean, God is using the sporting world. And I think now more than ever, to right. reveal himself to us and to those who are are lost and I, I know that's something you don't want to miss in terms of your being able to capture stories and and present them to people like that yeah um you know one that comes to mind is the alabama quarterback uh, who won the heisman trophy last year and oh, yes. his name escapes me but uh, at the heisman trophy presentation the first words out of his mouth was i'd like to thank my lord and savior jesus christ uh, and uh, something else. Then he got into talking about winning the Heisman, but he, mm -hmm. he did it. I mean, it, thirty seconds. Yeah. Uh, but it was a perfect platform. Um, just a great young man. Yeah, a, a remarkable man, and the kind of man that a guy like Vin Scully would have recognized. And I, I, John, talk about the the role that the commentator has, whether it's play by play, radio, TV the sports writer like you, when you were coming up where there were a lot of writers on the beat who were men of faith and women of faith as well, who were uh, that, not that that was fueling their stories. I mean, they had to get, you know, deadlines in and things like that, but was that a lot of the writing community or, or were you kind of an anomaly? There were, there were a few, but, uh, and I confess to this, you know, on deadline at times when you're interviewing somebody from the game, you've got 15 minutes to write the story. Right. The first thing he wants to start talking about is his faith. And I, I was one of those who kind of rolled my eyes in those days. Like, you know, sure. we need quotes for this. Right. Song. Tell me about your home runs or your three yeah. pointers or something. I don't want to hear about. But God. there are a few of us, but one of one of whom I'd like to point out is one of my best friends to this day, Chris Martinson, mm. who spent the last 
30 years at ESPN, was on the Dodgers beat with me. And he was not a Christian back then. And now he's one of the most devout Christian men, godly men that I know. Love it. Uh, it, It's just been a great transformation to see. We talk about it all the time. It's been wonderful. John Stregge is with me today here on The Bottom Line. We're reminiscing about the life and legacy of Ben Scully. Uh, We've got a link for John's work up at thebottomlineshow.com and rogermarsh.com. John, take the final moments here. And uh, there are those of us who are grieving because we're missing Vin, though he hasn't called a Dodger game in six years. Obviously, his voice has still been associated with the broadcasts, and and he would still pop up every now and again. And uh, the things he said, he was he was that friend, you know, that you got to watch the game with or listen to the game with, and and it was wonderful. Help us in the body of Christ from your perspective. Use, give us an example of how we can moving forward use this as a conversation starter, not only to remember this great guy, but also to have a dialogue about what's really important. We know Vin Scully's with the Lord. I mean, we have every assurance that right. uh, he's he's enjoying heaven right now, and we think that's wonderful. What what would you recommend in terms of uh, you know without being too blatant, but also being strategic in terms of using this as a faith opportunity? Well, I just you know. I- I actually looked it up this morning because I knew he was a Christian and uh, I pulled a quote where he said he's talking about his faith to a, to a Catholic publication. And he says, you know, this isn't the only stop in the train. There's one big one we're still waiting for. I use my faith to guide me straight and narrow and strong for sure. I think about that every week when I'm in line up at the rail to receive communion. That's a pretty important moment. It always was and always will be. And I mean, you know, I'm trying to get this quote out there. I just think yeah. it's so powerful, um, a testament to his faith. And I doubt if he ever missed a Sunday going to mass uh, unless he was ill. I mean, I think he was that devout. Mm, I love that. And, and I, I love that the way he framed that too. This is not the only stop on this train. I think right. it's, it's a great way to, pr- to put it into a great to way to encapsulate the way God used Vin Scully to uh, not only do great work in the broadcast booth, but also to minister to so many different people. John Strakey, I appreciate you uh, joining me on short notice here to talk about Vin Scully's life, legacy, and faith, and also the way God's using, uh, continuing to use you. You're, you're officially retired now, aren't you, John? I, I'm still on a small retainer with Golf Digest to help out when needed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it kind of keeps me active and involved, which I appreciate. But yeah. otherwise, yeah. 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 Marlene would be driving you crazy or you would be driving her crazy if you were home all day, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, God is gracious. Very, very gracious indeed. John, thanks for the great work you do. And thanks for your contributions on today's edition of The Bottom Line. Really appreciate Roger, it. it's always great to talk to you. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh, pleasure's ours, that's for sure. John Stregge with the Orange County Register, Golf Digest, the LA Times, as we have been reflecting on the life and legacy of Vin Scully, and we have a little more reminiscing to do on the other side of this break. By the way, uh, congratulations going out to Karen Allen from Redondo Beach. Uh, Karen is the winner of uh, Mike Novotny's book uh, that we were giving away, What's Big Start Small, uh, Six Great Ways to Build Your Faith. But we still have a couple of uh, opportunities for you if you'd like to call in on Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278, 800 the number to get you through to the bottom line. Yes. Oh, my goodness, yes. Todd, thank you for pulling that up. Uh, Vin Scully leading Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Uh, great reminiscence, uh, reminiscence as we think about Vin on the passing 
of him into eternity uh, last night at the age of 94, a great man of faith. And today here on The Bottom Line, we spent the last half hour of the program remembering Vin Scully and his life and legacy. And my thanks again to John Strege, formerly of the LA Times, Orange County Register, who knew Vin, who covered the baseball beat here in Southern California for years before moving over to Golf Digest in 1997, One uh, wrote several award-winning books on golf, you know, about those guys like Tiger Woods and things like that. And I love the fact that, you know, John hadn't been on the beat in, what, 20 years. He shows up at Dodger Stadium with his daughter, Hannah. And remember, Hannah, if you had the book, um, A Snowflake Named Hannah, uh, the book about her being a snowflake adoption and what that means. By the way, we do have a copy of that book. If you want to call our last couple of calls today for Everyone Wednesday, 800-227-5278, 800-227-5278. Teresa's got the book and she'd love to give it to you. Uh, John Stregge's account of what he and his wife, Marlene, went through. Uh, there have been several hundred kids who have been, you know, these frozen embryos. The people will freeze the embryo. That's a human being in our book. And then... They'll implant some and hopefully some will take and some don't survive. And um, when the Stregis were looking to adopt, they uh, went about the process of adopting an embryo and uh, they were the first to do it. Hannah's the first one who survived the whole process. And now she's at grad school. She's a year away from graduating with a master's in social work from Baylor University. And John Stregis wrote beautifully about his daughter's life in the book called A Snowflake Named Hannah. And we're giving away a copy, 800-227-5278. But thinking about them getting together, and Vin was an avid golfer, which is probably why he lived so long. Note to self to those of us who don't play golf, maybe there's something in there that's spiritual. But I love what John said about the, the connection between sports and faith and how guys like Vin Scully remind us that the game is fun. Oh, my goodness, it's fun. Eight-year-old Vin Scully walking home after the Giants got thrashed. The New York Giants got thrashed by the New York Yankees in the World Series back in was 1936. They lost 18 to four in that game. And it kind of made Ben Scully not only a baseball fan, but a Giants fan because he took pity on the Giants for getting thrashed so badly. And you know what's crazy about this is when he retired on October the 2nd, 2016, it was literally 80 years to the day from that game. And Ben Scully spent 67 years as a professional baseball announcer calling games for the dreaded Brooklyn, then Los Angeles Dodgers, who were not his childhood team. But that's who God called him to be a part of. And if it weren't for Vince Scully, the Dodgers aren't the Dodgers. If they don't move from Brooklyn, where they could never get out of the shadow of the Giants and the, uh, and the Yankees, and the Giants came to San Francisco shortly thereafter, but they established baseball on the West Coast. They kind of legitimized California in the eyes of people nationally. But you take Vince Scully plus a transistor radio at Chavez Ravine. And Jerry Doggett was working the games, too. It wasn't like Jerry didn't have any influence on this. But it was something about Vin and the transistor radio. And these days, as we shared recently a, a story on digital uh, faith experiences, millennials are going to church and using their multimedia. And for those of us who might think, well, don't bring your phone in, don't bring your iPad in, don't sit there and look at that stuff while the pastor's preaching, maybe there's something to that. I mean, the baseball experience was enhanced so much because Vin Scully was your friend at the game who was telling you what was going on at the game. 
not the obnoxious guy who talks all the way through it, but the guy who actually knows. I saw a clip of Ron Say of the Dodgers earlier today. He said, you know how cool it was to be at Dodger Stadium and you don't have to go home and watch the highlights because the highlights are happening because you've got Ben Scully narrating the game in the stands and 40,000 people have transistor radios amplifying it. We got to have our highlights announced as we were making them. But it's his faith journey and his faith story that I think has been such an inspiration to so many people and they don't even realize it. Please notice that Vince Scully was not obnoxious. Oh yeah, he talked about comp, uh, issues of the day during the game. There's a clip going around of him talking about how socialism didn't work. I'll never forget D-Day many, many years ago where he was calling the Dodger game at home. It was on June the 6th. And he was basically giving us a history lesson on what D-Day was all about and why it was so important in between pitches of the game. Never broke stride. Knowing it, like John Strege said, how sharp you have to be when you're calling a game to see what's happening and it's unfolding the same time for you as it is for everybody else, but you have to describe it perfectly to them. God gave him a unique gift in doing so. Vin, we miss you. We love you. We'll see you on the other side for sure. But we use your legacy as an example for all of us. Do your work excellently. Find that gift that you have and pursue it. Walk humbly with your God. Live justly with other people. Have confidence in the Lord, not arrogance in your own abilities. And first and foremost, remember that the gospel is offensive, but your presentation of it shouldn't be. Because if it's winsome, then we'll win some to the kingdom. That's the bottom line.